The last page has been turned on my most recent read. Okay, that is actually a little bit of an exaggeration, as I am currently about a third of the way through my current read because I started it late yesterday evening. However, I did manage to finish one book yesterday, and at last my reading has picked up again after a, a tiny bit of a slump. I also managed to restrain myself a little and only ordered six books this week, yes, it's just six, all of which arrived by Thursday. Pretty good, right? I'm really proud of myself. Anyway, it's another week and another book. And as you know, I like to talk about different genres. This book is new to me, though I have already read and reviewed something else by this author, which I will link in the notes below. The funny thing is that I... This book would have likely stayed on my shelf for a while, were it not for my guest this week, Jordan from Books to Last podcast. I knew that we had to collab after I recorded an episode with her earlier this year about the five books I'd like to take to a desert island. Coming up with that list gave me a few sleepless nights, I can tell you. Anyway, when we were talking about her coming on being bookish, she said, take a look at my TBR and pick out the ones on your list too. And that's how we decided upon Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. So here we both are, no spoilers, opinion filled, in my case as ever, and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile, and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. And I am here this week with Jordan from Books to Last. You'll hear me on one of her episodes coming up later this year. And we are going to be talking about Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Hi, Jordan. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this book with you. And I'm so happy to be on the podcast um, after we had such an amazing conversation Um well many amazing conversations um last time we spoke it's been great yeah it's we we can just talk books for uh looking at the time hours <laughs> quite easily because we seem to have quite similar tastes in a lot of things so i read um taylor jenkins read the first book i read by taylor jenkins read was at the seven husbands of evelyn hugo and i actually did an episode on it there were certain elements of it I really enjoyed and certain elements that I could have happily done without. Have you read that one or is this the first book by her that you've picked up? No, so I've not read Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, um, although I got nice and uh, confused because I did read Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle around about the same time it came out. Um, and that was nice and confusing. Um, but I have read one Taylor Drinking's Read book before. I read Maybe in Another Life. Um, a couple of years ago and I remember reading it between Christmas and New Year's and whilst I thought it was good and I did overall enjoy it I kind of felt like because I don't 
I feel like sometimes I don't feel feelings the way that authors want me to feel feelings or I don't think the way that they they want me to think. Um, I got the feeling from maybe in another life that I was supposed to root for one specific or I was supposed to think that both stories were equally good or both roots and I was supposed to be conflicted and I wasn't conflicted for a moment. I knew exactly which one of the options that was laid out before me was the one I would choose and would have been happy with and the other one I felt was a rotten <laughs> alternative. <laughs> See, this is my problem with audiobooks, strangely enough. I can't, because I have a set thought in my mind when I start reading something or start listening to something, if somebody else's interpretation is different from mine on audio, I'm done for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found with audiobooks, if I listen to an audiobook to begin with, if I try and then read something in that world again I'm I hear the narrator's voice in my head instead of my own voice which is like I listened to a bunch of the Jeeves books narrated by Stephen Fry and I literally cannot read a Jeeves book now without hearing Stephen Fry's voices but then Stephen Fry is kind of Jeeves and Worcester they even did the tv show so it's kind of that that's kind of excused so for those of you who aren't sure what Daisy Jones and the Six is about, I need to find my copy of the book. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows Daisy Jones and the Six. Their sound defined an era. Their albums were on every turntable. They sold out arenas from coast to coast. Then on 12th of July, 1979, Daisy Jones walked barefoot onto the stage at the Whiskey and it all came crashing down. Everyone was there. Everyone remembers it differently. Nobody knew why they split until now. Now, this book is written in a an interview style, almost like they are they're talking with all the people that were involved in the 1979 incident. And it run it sort of starts in the very early 1970s, well, 1965 to 1972, and then moves to the present day, or rather 2012. And it is written in a kind of interviewer, interviewee style. So what what did you think about that specifically? So I thought it was really clever because there's a big I suppose, trend for, you know, documentaries about big parts and I suppose like modern pop culture history. So in my head, when I was reading this, I could very distinctly picture it as like, like a documentary, like every time it's flipped to someone different, it's like you're cutting between these interviews that are happening separately, but they're being asked about the same thing. And I thought it was a really clever way of doing it. Um, And I thought, you really got the distinct voices of each of the people involved. I hear about it. I just think it was a clever way of doing it. I think it's more interesting than it would have been had it been written in a sort of very traditional prose way, I think. I think it would be better, I think. It would have been, wouldn't have been better even. I think it would have taken away from the story maybe a little bit. Have you seen the TV series that they made of this yet? No, I didn't want it to inform my thoughts in this discussion, so I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I read it and then I'm probably going to watch it with um, my other half because I actually think he would love this story because he's loves music and he loves that sort of ear of music and he loves mo- like movies like The Dirt and things like that. So I thought 
I think he'd love this. So I think we're going to watch the show together. But no, I haven't seen it yet. Is it done like a documentary? <laughs> I think that it's it's actually done as a story written in prose from what I gather. And also there are apparently considerable differences between certain elements of the story and the, the plot line. But I mean... A, I find it quite interesting you you liked that particular style. I was talking to a friend of mine about this just this morning and I said that I probably would have liked it better had it been a um, narrative and dialogue. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's probably because I prefer the, tradi- the more traditional and that was something that I had an issue with with Evelyn Hugo. Yeah. With the interview style. I don't know if I was maybe also informed by the fact that I was reading this alongside the audiobook because the audiobook has got a full cast for each of the characters. So it, it sort of switched between the voices. So it kind of almost felt like I was listening to like a documentary podcast type thing about this band. Um, so I don't know if maybe the performance of it was what made me like the telling and if I'd have been reading it just me, whether I would have found it I don't know hot like not as enjoyable maybe maybe that might have informed it I did hear that um that that I mean that I think for me that was one of the things that made it harder to read was the fact that there were certain points where if I lost focus for a little while I'd be reading and all of a sudden I'm thinking um who's saying this because it does jump very very quickly between one person's narrative and another's especially when they're talking about the relationship between Daisy and Billy. Yeah. Yeah, the different voices definitely help with that because they had quite distinctive voice actors for each of the characters. So even though they did introduce who was speaking before they started to remind you, um, it did help to sort of, I suppose, give them very... I, I could picture them quite clearly in my head based on the voices. Whereas I think I definitely agree. I think I would have struggled if I was just, um, I don't think I would have had the same effect if I'd just been reading. Yeah. I, I, that's the thing. I mean, I'd love to be able to listen to audio. It's a discussion I've had so many people. I find audio books so difficult to focus on. And the perfect example of that is I was talking we were a, a friend was saying about oh she loves listening to audio and she listened to it at 1.5 speed and I said one of the things that puts me off is the fact that I know I can read a book quicker than I could listen to it I always start at one times because I'm like I'm gonna know I'm gonna I'm gonna you know go through it at the pace that the narrator's set and then almost definitely by the end of the first chapter I'm at two times speed because I am reading ahead because I do read quite quickly um but also it's the same with podcasts when I listen to podcasts I have to have them on a higher speed setting because otherwise my brain will wander off in the gaps between words so I have to make the gaps between words smaller so that my brain can't wander off yeah see that's probably the same issue I have but that's why I think you get to a certain point and you think I've tried audiobooks so many times and I mean this probably would have been better as an audiobook but I don't know if I'd have had the patience to listen to it no, I have to have a reason for why I'd go for the audiobook over reading it just myself. Because like with this one, I knew it was in the style of interview. So I knew I wanted it for those specific reasons. Um, Dracula, because it's got different people's perspectives and different people's entries. I knew I wanted to read that because, again, it gives you the different voices. Other books, I don't 
necessarily want the narrator because I don't want the voice. Like I've tried some fantasy books being read by other people and I'm just like, no, I don't need this because I think it's better if I'm just engrossed in the story and I'm not being distracted by whatever ridiculous accent the narrator is trying to put on for this character. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. <laughs> so um, it has to be a specific format um, and and it, it doesn't work for every book for me. So I completely get where you where you're coming from. Um, it usually is a very specific style of book that I want to go down the audio route for. Yeah. I, I struggle with some other genres where I'm just like, I just don't need it. I'm happy to read it in my own voice. So that's the thing. I went into this book completely blind. And when I opened it and I found after the first page, it was all this interview style. I thought, oh, okay, help. <laughs> Because it was, because it, as I said, it was unexpected because I'd thought, oh, it's just going to be, um, it's going to be a, a narrative. It's going to be narrative and dialogue and it's going to be a flowing story. And there are certain bits that jump and I got taken, there was, it sounds awful. There were certain times where I actually got taken out of the book because I had to go and check certain things like the date of, of a a song had been released or an album because of course I was born in the early 70s so yeah I'm 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 dating myself here I was born in the early 70s and things like I grew up on Carol King's Tapestry mm-hmm. it's one of my mum's favorite albums and I grew up listening to it so when they're talking about oh she was singing this and singing that and they're talking about 1971 so she'd been singing it for that long and it's like okay you there are certain moments where I had to suspend disbelief. Yeah, I so because because I don't have any memories of the seventies. I, <laughs> I found it quite easy to just if it sounded like it was supposed to be a pop culture reference, I basically just took it as read and I took the author's word for it. And there were times where I was reading. So, like, obviously, there's names that of things that I do know. So, the troubadour. Um, Rolling Stone, they were names that I'm like, oh, those are real things. I know those are real things. And then there was other elements where it's, oh, different artists. So when they reference other artists, they aren't real artists or they reference TV show hosts and they're not real TV show hosts. And So there's like a real blend of fact and fiction there. So it feels like it's almost in a parallel universe to the one that we inhabit. So I was very much like, I just kind of glossed over them because I was like, I don't have any real world connection to most of these things so I'm just gonna go yeah sure the 70s and just (laughs) just move on yeah I I think that's it's that as you said it's the real world connection and I mean okay so I was six when the 70s ended but at the same time I do still remember certain things because they had such a large part to play in my childhood and growing up But there were also other things. I mean, this ends in 1979 when I, well, the book doesn't end. It ends in 2012. But the story of Daisy Jones and the Six ends in 1979. And there are certain things, obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on culturally, politically, that is kind of just happening in the undertones. Mm. This book has a lot of... um, drug references, alcohol addiction, and everything. So it's, it's not a, a, a book you'd read with um, with the family, exactly. And if those are things that you have trigger warnings for, 
it's not a book to pick up mm. but it's it's not in a way I suppose it's doing the same thing that the Doors film did with Val Kilmer highlights that these are things that go on when you are given access to unlimited resources that you may not have had previously yeah I I mean since we're talking about sort of the time period I know that I've heard a lot of people refer to this as historical fiction and I having read it now jar against that descriptor a little bit because I don't think not because I think the 70s is too recent to be quite historical fiction because I don't think that's true you could definitely write historical fiction about the 70s you realize that 70s now classes as vintage yeah we just don't think about it Um, and um but but I just don't I don't think that this quite ticks I don't know whether it's because there is such a sort of departure from fact or so on I just don't I don't know because I know historical fiction isn't always super accurate oh god no but I don't know I just jar against it as a as a I don't think that that's the right descriptor for it even though I know that's how it's shelved in a lot of places oh I agree with you completely I don't think in fact I, I wouldn't have read this as historical fiction in any stretch of the imagination because yeah. Partially because we're in, we know that it's, though it's talking about the past, it's based in the present and they are reminiscing and how much of this reminiscence is actually accurate. Yes, that was an interesting, I think that's one thing the interview managed to, was able to convey quite well, um, that maybe pros might have struggled with is that they all remember it differently and there are in fact actually I think one of the notes I made when I was reading it was recollections may vary yeah and I was just like I think that I think the the different interviews um and how they sort of people had very like had conflicting just even tiny minor facts where they just didn't remember it the same as each other I thought it added to sort of a mystery of it um although they didn't go maybe as heavy-handed with it as they could have gone yeah oh they absolutely could have gone far heavier with it I think the ambiguity of it all got uh, frustrated me at times because you it was hinting at certain things and there were it jumped around so much that it was very difficult for me sometimes to keep track of where I was meant to be when Mm. I was meant to be and a lot of the action not giving any spoilers away so much of the real revelation occurs so close to the end that you're scrabbling to figure out because it hints at all these things going wrong Mm. and that everything started really early but none of those revelations happen early even though the conversation starts at that point yeah I felt like that as well I felt like because it was a doc, I feel like this is why it was kind of framing it as a as like a music documentary was actually quite smart because you feel like when you watch a lot of those music documentaries about bands and music and we watched the Woodstock '99 documentary recently, is you know when they do the sort of like trailers or the adverts where they sort of allude to some big grand event happening, and when you actually watch the full thing, you realise that there's a bit of hyperbole going on there's kind of deliberately phrasing things in a suggestive way that is and isn't is misrepresents what actually happened it's kind of like like, 
yeah, it's like clickbait. And I felt like there were there were comments dropped in this where I've like written notes like with question marks and like this is thinking it must be foreshadowing something or there's like a or it's laying the groundwork for a revelation or something that might go wrong. And I felt like they it was doing that and then either they didn't happen or they didn't happen the way I thought they were going to. And I was like, oh, I don't know if, I mean, are these intentional red herrings? Did I just read into it wrong? And I was, I felt like there was a lot of, I don't know, little eggs placed that didn't quite pay off. Yeah. Oh, that, that's it though, isn't it? I think that this, the way that it, even the way that the blurb on the back of the book is framed makes you think something big had to happen. Yes. And when the revelation comes, it's kind of like... <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I completely, I, I did feel like I kind of, my main takeaway was, even though it kept me hooked because I really wanted to know what happened, it felt like kind of an anticlimax in a way. But I suppose it depends what you were reading it for, because I feel like if you were reading it because you were more in the vein of, I don't know, different themes than I suppose the ones I was interested in, um, then maybe it probably wasn't. But for me personally, I kind of had, when I read the blurb and I read all of these, like this build up at the, the first few chapters, in my head, I was like, I feel like I know what happened or I feel like I know some of the bones of what happened, but I don't know how it happened. And then I got to the end and that's not what had happened. And I was like, but what did I just, uh, why, what was, what? <laughs> you, you expect something kind of explosive. And I think that's one of the things that is very, very similar to Evelyn Hugo. Yeah. You, I expect, mean, I know you expect a huge, shocking revelation because all the way through there's these little Easter eggs hinting at something awful and then when you find out what it is, you think, oh, okay. Why did they make such a big deal out of it? I do think that that is kind of Taylor Jenkins' read MO, and that's not like a diss or a criticism of her personally, but the from what I've read about some of her other books and then having read maybe another live, I think where she really does well, and I do think she does it really well, is kind of like slice of life stuff, but also really digging into like the human condition like digging into why people tick the way they do and why they do the things they do and not in like an extravagant or really fantastical way but just in a oh this is how some people work kind of way yeah and I do think sometimes that's kind of because people are kind of disappointing and I just think I do think that sometimes that might lead to disappointing ends because people are just disappointing sometimes yeah um, and that was kind of the way I felt so even though I was like I did like it overall and I do want to watch the show I, at the same time I was kind of like it's not it's not blown me away my socks were still firmly on my feet <laughs> I'm not wearing any but I agree <laughs> I think that so many people I've spoken with so many and all these people were like oh you've got to read Daisy Jones and the Six it's amazing it's fantastic book Mm -hmm. and I was expecting I mean even though I'd obviously read and not really rated incredibly though I loved Evelyn Hugo as a character I didn't like the journalist I expected so much more because of the absolute raving reviews I got from so many people who have, for the most part, got incredibly similar tastes to me. And when I read it, I was, I actually said, I need a palate cleanser 
because it was as you said there is very much a study of the human condition it talks about all of these issues and Daisy Jones seriously has a lot of problems I'm not saying that everyone else in the book is perfect but (laughs) she has a lot of issues however she also isn't the main character of the book Mm. no I I I found it interesting the way that they drew parallels. And I do think, actually, that's probably one thing that, like, if they'd have written it in prose, you might have been able to, I don't know, maybe dig deeper into some of the characters, I suppose, internally. Um, But, yeah, I think it deals a lot with, like, a lot of really interesting themes. Like, I mean, the one that kind of got me was sort of family and parenthood. And and I found the, the topics around that quite interesting. There was some feminist discussions around it and around sexism which i i've got a lot of like sort of quotes highlighted where i'm just like yeah no that's absolutely correct oh yeah it's still correct now yes seeing nothing that i disagree with here i think one of my favorite quotes in it i think i've got it marked is um men often feel like they deserve a sticker for treating women like people (laughs) and i was like yes correct um and yeah so I think there was some of it there was the commentary was quite interesting and I thought how they kind of how they settled it in the time period and what was happening was interesting but yeah definitely they dig into a lot of issues and talk about you know relationships and that sort of thing but I found my favorite characters were kind of comic relief characters (laughs) (laughs) I see that's why I think it would have been so much better as prose with a few interviews interspersed between those paragraphs because there are certain things that we never get to see due to the way it's written and when we do see certain characterizations and characteristics of these people it's through the eyes of someone who doesn't necessarily have a positive view of them. No and I also I mean, whilst the biases of the people who have been interviewed are interesting, I kind of felt that one of the reveals towards the end almost threw even more doubt and sort of lack of validity over a lot of what had been said from the beginning um, straight away. And it kind of made me doubt everything I'd read up until then. And I almost kind of felt like the reveal took away from the credibility of the story. I almost thought it made it less good because there was that potential for bias exactly and I just I that kind of I I, I wish that that hadn't have been included um I I don't know the, the last sort of chapter is probably my least favorite because I was expecting a really big payoff and I just don't I felt kind of shortchanged a little bit Continue yeah oh I I get completely <laughs> where you're coming from with that I think that it seems to be I mean from the two I've read it's a it's very much a style choice for yes. Taylor Jenkins read and kudos to anybody who can read yeah it works for her mm-hmm. and people love it it just ha- I think that if you are somebody who prefers na- um, the prose and likes a story that flows in some way yeah. this is going to be this is going to be a tough read yeah and I also I think because I'm a big fantasy reader as well I am used to some like monumental twists like mind-blowing oh my god I didn't see that coming reveals so when they're kind of (laughs) like you know tiny explosions as opposed to I literally like where I've had 
you know, I so many fantasy books where I've literally had to like put them down because I have to process what's just been said to me. I was kind of like, I wanted, I wanted that feeling, and I guess I didn't. I mean, I've got Malibu Rising. Yeah, I've got Malibu Rising on my shelf, and that's probably going to be my last try with Taylor Jenkins Reid. And if I don't really like that, I'm probably not going to go back to her as an author because, as much as I, they're readable, they're not like yeah, earth shattering for me. <laughs> and that's just my acquired taste, I think, because I'm not very good with. I don't do a lot of contemporary fiction, and I don't do a lot of sort of slice of life i want to know how this person works kind of books but then this book doesn't really do that so much anyway um anyway so yeah i think whilst whilst yeah whilst i did enjoy it it's one of those i probably won't reread it again um although i've got yeah a lot of funny quotes and stuff highlighted and that sort of thing because um there were moments that made me laugh um warren especially uh I didn't like him at first and he really grew on me like at the beginning I was kind of like mm, this guy I was like he's a bit of a he's a bit of a one this one I didn't really like him and then as it the story progressed I got to the end and I found myself really liking him. he's probably one of the only sensible ones out of all of them yeah he's got a really he's very laid back and I actually thought it was quite funny because as much as I just liked him at the beginning he immediately reminded me of my husband with his attitude towards everyone's drama I haven't um, got time for this exactly and that was literally his like one of the quotes I literally took a photo of it and sent it to my husband because it was like oh didn't care then barely care now and <laughs> I sent it to him I'm just like this would be the name of your biography <laughs> <laughs> that, that's brilliant I think that for me Billy and Camilla were an interesting couple but they were love's young dream and not and it was very much oh okay whatever while Karen and Graham he he frustrated me a bit though he did but I really wanted it like I don't know out of the two of them I was rooting for them if I'd had to put my money on either I I would have probably backed them but I don't know why because I mean I he did frustrate me at times they all frustrated me and they're I think the thing with Karen and Graham was whatever happened they were never going to work because no. Karen was from the very start she knew that it was hard being a woman in the rock business it was going to be a very difficult journey and the minute somebody starts telling you how you should live your life and how you think they should live their life mm. I knew that that was it it was over yeah the, the I mean the the writing was really on the wall for everybody who wasn't Graham apparent <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> um so it, i mean it's it's not i don't i wouldn't say it's even i don't think it qualifies as because it's kind of obvious from the beginning because that they because it's of the way it's written as an interview you kind of there's always a sense you kind of know how most of the thing as soon as the plot line's kind of introduced you kind of know how it ends because they almost say it in the moment of introducing it oh yeah absolutely i mean they say from the start even on the back of the book you know that the band that they're speaking to has broken up you just don't know quite what led to it. Though, yeah. to be fair, as we've already established, it's a bit of a damp squib. Yeah, because I think there are definitely more interesting stories out there about bands who've broken up for um, more explosive and more possibly interesting reasons. And I I don't know, I kind of saw 
the issue like a million miles away like from the introduction of the main characters i was like i i, I was like i know what one of the conflicts here is going to be because it's obvious of course it's obvious it's 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 literally there because they've, um, ma- they've made such a thing of daisy and her appearance and her attitude from yeah. the word go you know that she is going to walk in that door at some point and that in itself takes a long time to get to yeah i i think probably again this is kind of like with maybe in another life i kind of kept getting this feeling that i was being led to feel feelings that i just wasn't feeling because I felt again like I should be conflicted and I didn't feel conflicted and I don't know if this is because of me and how my brain works because I have very black and white thinking I have an incredibly intense version of right and wrong in my head I know where my moral compass lies so for me there was never a question of oh it was difficult or oh I shouldn't have done this or oh there was oh, there was conflict in my for me I was like you know right and wrong you know what the right choice in this scenario is and I can't feel bad for you for making the wrong choice in this scenario. I just absolutely, and I don't know whether because I'm maybe it's just my complete lack. Maybe I've got I lack empathy. Maybe, (laughs) but because I don't, I haven't experienced a lot of the things that go on in this book. I'm kind of like, I know what I do because it seems obvious. There's an obvious right answer in this scenario, and there's like discussions about relationships and monogamy and what it makes to make a marriage work and all of this sort of thing. It's kind of like. Again, for me, it's just I don't I don't understand that conflict or that discussion because it's just so straightforward to me that I'm like, it's so clear. I don't understand why people struggle with it so much. The thing is, I mean, if they didn't struggle with it, there wouldn't be a book. But at the same time, I found I think that you're you're not wrong. I found the whole um Billy and Camilla thing frustrating. Because he brought a lot of it upon himself. Oh, 100%. And I also didn't feel any pity for him. At a certain point, I wanted to just put the book down and go, nope, not reading the rest of this because I don't care about any of these characters. Mm. Yeah, I... So, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the... All of the interpersonal stuff was... It didn't speak to me, but I think that is possibly because I just that kind of writing doesn't speak to me a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, I think I think there was a lot of really interesting commentary about what it is to be an artist and the creative process. I thought some of that was quite interesting, though I'm not. I wouldn't call myself an artist or a creative in the slightest. I find it interesting in other people. <laughs> very tactful way of saying it (laughs) I think that I mean as I've said before I think that if we'd been able to get into the heads of the characters and see the way the wheels turned when certain things happened from their perspective it might have been a better read for me Mm. because I like books that delve into the psyche I enjoy reading about the human condition but I also like a story that is a story rather than told in fits and starts, which I felt this really was. Yeah. Ironically, I do actually think if it had been written in prose, it might have been a book that I wouldn't have been able to finish because um, I think with the interview, there's a lot of sort of ellipses where people start saying something and they change 
attack or they change thought or they clarify what they're saying. But there's, as you said, there was a lot going on in the 70s in the rock scene. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, parties and substance abuse and all that sort of thing. And there's, I got the feeling, especially in the first chapter where Daisy's so young, when she first gets involved with this there's a murkiness around it that oh absolutely there always has been I mean the 70s was very um anything goes yeah but because it was never explicitly stated because I felt like the way that they were saying that you know Daisy was so vulnerable when she first went out and she was so young and she was so attractive and everybody wanted it I was very much like I was reading it and I was like I feel like I know what isn't being said here um, or at least I know stuff of that nature was going on. And I feel like had I have been reading a prose book, it would have gone into more detail. And a big trigger thing for me is things around, you know, sexual assault and that sort of thing. So for me, I was kind of like, I'm almost glad they didn't explicitly because for all of the triggers in the book, that's not one that they quite ring the bell on. Yeah, that I think that's it. If you, I think that one of the better ways of looking at the music scene in that era is probably, although that was more late 60s, early 70s, is um, Almost Famous. Mm. I don't think I've... With Kate Hudson. Uh, Okay, no, not one I'm familiar with. She plays a character called Penny Lane, who's a groupie, but it's it's far more the the rock scene with the undercurrents and the, the... bed bunnies and everything else and it it really does look at that and then obviously you've got the biopics like uh the doors which Mm. i keep on talking about but i actually really love that film and val kilmer was so beautiful in it but it's a fantastic film yeah i well i've i've heard somewhere that this was sort of loosely inspired on inspired or based on fleetwood mac yeah stevie nicks yeah which makes sense i mean it makes sense in that i looked at the because they've obviously because of the tv show they made the aurora album and then i did look at you know the fleetwood mac album the most it's like one of the highest selling albums. rumors it was rumors. like oh yeah and that's another album that i grew up with my mum still got the original <laughs> when you look at, when i looked at the front of that album i was like yeah i feel like i'm looking at daisy and billy here that looks like that's that's obvious where the inspiration came from even if the story is not the same so I don't know. I almost think I would have been more compelled. If they were actually real people, I might have found it more compelling. But because I knew it was all fiction, I was kind of like, feels like a pale imitation, a pale reflection of some stuff that maybe real people did go through. But maybe I think that is because there are all of these hints at the fact it's based on this that I heard about rather than I've created these fictional characters and they are in this world. Mm -hmm. And then of course there's the use of reality with the 70s rather than it being a complete alternate universe Mm -hmm. it is very much dumped in there's mentions of David Bowie and everything else so you get all of that added into it and think oh Mm. okay well I know that that didn't happen (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah, I do. I think some of my favorite parts were the um, the comic relief parts because I think that some of the quite some of the people who were being interviewed were sort of really just glib, and I felt like you heard their voices quite well. So it was quite. Uh, there were parts I really liked, and I I didn't dislike the book as a whole, but not a favorite. 
well that that's it that that is it in it to a T isn't it it's I read it it was okay it wasn't something that I'm going to pick up again and go this is my favorite book I'm going to recommend it to everybody yes because I've got plenty of books that I would recommend (laughs) yes I'm probably gonna I may pay my copy forward to a friend who would enjoy it Yeah, I'm doing the same with a couple of my books, actually. I mean, I bought this a while ago because I heard so many people raving about it. And I think I bought it back in March. And it sat on my shelf and it probably would have continued to sit on my shelf. So (laughs) thanks to you saying, look at my Goodreads and my TBR and we'll talk about one of these books. It was like, right, okay, that that gets one that I said I would read, read. I probably wouldn't have read this for a really long time if not first podcast either so i think we've both we've both achieved something here in terms of historical tbr we have indeed i think that it's it's one of those books that i think would have been better as prose and i know that possibly if i'd listened to the audio instead of reading the book i might have got more out of it yeah, I think I re- what I wanted more than anything was to see it as like made up like a proper documentary. I'm kind of disappointed that the TV show doesn't do that because I think it would have been just really good because they could have filtered it in with like concert footage. And yeah, I think that they, I mean, they do have concert footage and everything else. But well, they from... made the full album, which I'm scared to listen to. <laughs> well, all the songs are in the back of the book. <laughs> well yeah and they've like recorded it's on spotify like daisy Jones in the six is is an artist on spotify and i saw the album and i saw that it's got all of the songs that they mentioned and i'm just like i just don't know if i actually want to read them be- listen to them because i don't know if it would be i don't fair. know I, yeah i don't know what it's i don't know if it'd either make it better or ruin it or something i just i didn't know what effect it was going to have so i didn't know if i was I, I think i may watch the show and then i can see that's the thing i mean for me a an author doesn't necessarily make a good songwriter i did think that when i was because i mean i'm not a songwriter so i can't speak to whether she's good at it or not i was like if she is a good songwriter kind of impressive that she can go between sort of prose into style and songwriting i'm like that's that's pretty good she talks very technically about music but the thing is i don't know she could be talking about anything and i would just go yeah because i am not (laughs) musically talented in any so like i i almost felt like i want because my husband is very musical i almost wanted like open it for him and say would you say that this describes Fleetwood Mac sound (laughs) (laughs) does this does this make sense or is it is it just like a word salad have they just chucked a bunch of musical sounding words together because I was reading it and it sounded like gibberish to me I could not picture what sound it was supposed to be I couldn't hear what they were saying in my head because I just don't do music at all you listen you have listened to the Fleetwood Mac album right yeah, we have that on vinyl. <laughs> yeah. My mum, as I mean, I grew up with it. My mum has it on vinyl. Yes, and it's an excellent album. It was just one of those that, like, because they were talking, I mean, they were talking about different instruments and they were talking, they were just using a lot of musical sounding words. I don't know what to say. <laughs> and I was, I was just like, sure, that could be it. I can tell you about soundtracks, musical soundtracks, maybe, but not in technical music language. <laughs> So it was written to dumbfound the audience, but there's nothing wrong with it. I think that sometimes if you write something with authority, whether you have the knowledge or not, it sounds like you know where you're coming from. Yeah, and it's one of those things that if I read a book that had a lot of like really in-depth information about something that I knew a lot about, 
it, I would find it a lot easier to go, oh, well, you know, that's a load of rubbish. Or, oh, actually, this is really well, you know, um, this is a really, really well researched. And that's what I read um, The Architect's Apprentice recently. And I mean, I work with buildings and I found some of the descriptions in there sort of quite basic, but they might not have seemed quite basic to somebody who doesn't really know anything about buildings. And I found some of them really intricate and detailed. And I, uh, I thought it was interesting to actually have like an area of my life that doesn't involve reading highlighted in a book um and it made me kind of want to read more in that area but like say music is just straight over my head I listen to it I don't know anything about it yeah I did I did the same I went and saw Antitrust with Ryan Felipe when it came out in the cinema and I just finished my uh computer programming degree and I went with a friend and I sat there watched the screen and I said out loud in the cinema there were probably about 20 people in there I said I pointed at the screen and I said that code wouldn't work Mm -hmm. (laughs) she moved <laughs> <laughs> yeah i it, it, it just makes it make it makes you appreciate well researched books i think even more um i've been told things like uh the martian for instance has got proper real science in it and apparently the proper real science is good um or at least it it works out it says what it says it's saying (laughs) yeah Um, i read the i read the martian it's actually quite an enjoyable book yes it's been told i've been told to read it very many times that's another one i'm considering the audiobook because it's written as a sort of log isn't it It, but it kind of is but obviously with things going on back on earth at the same time yeah so i've considered it but i'm not sure if i'm actually gonna just just read it as as text yet but it is on the list it isn't i think it's an enjoyable what what is the next book that you're going to read after dracula good question um i'm either going to pick up another jeeves book because i kind of want something light and funny um to just sort of recline with or i'm going to go in the complete opposite direction and dive into the three musketeers <laughs> and do 800 pages of a swashbuckling adventure and um, one or the other it depends how i feel after i've got Which through is true historical fiction well i have heard many mixed things about the three musketeers the count of monte cristo was one of my all-time favorite books i really like demar i think it's great i want to like the three musketeers but i have been given some critiques on it when but and when they were told to me they rang very true with the kind of person I am, which makes me feel like I'm probably going to feel the same way. And I actually had a very long conversation with the bookseller in uh, Mr. B's uh, Book Emporium of Delights in Bath this week because I happen to be in Bath for work. And I was like, well, if I'm here for work, I may as well drop into the bookshop. Absolutely. Um, and I got to talking with the, the the guy behind the counter and we had very similar reading tastes and he mentioned Three Musketeers and he sort well and he sort of said you know it's kind of it's very public schoolboy hazar type um <laughs> storytelling and I told him somebody had said um it's the sort of book equivalent of the song The Man by Taylor Swift <laughs> and he had the same reaction you just had and he was like that is a really good one I'm gonna use that one <laughs> That's brilliant. I mean, I think that because it was written at a time far closer to when it occurred in many ways, it's there are going to be certain things that are historically accurate, but at the same time, it's something that, yeah. But there, I, I think that there are lots of books like that, that you'll read them and you'll go, mm, really? Yeah, but... um. 
Yeah, I'm a massive mood reader though, so I could get to the end of Dracula and go, I don't want to read either of those things and go in a completely different direction. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I will quite often, I mean, I have got books that I've got to read because they're on a deadline. But at the same time, the book I'm reading right now is totally unrelated to anything I've got to do. Luckily, I'm nearly finished with it because I've got to read a mythology book tomorrow for next week. And then I keep on interspersing, but I've purposely left the new books that I had delivered this week, apart from this one, in their boxes on the dining table. And that is where they will stay until I have reached a point where I can go, right, now I can read something for me. Smart. But I don't know if I'll actually want to read any of those books. Yeah, I found that like I pre-order books and I get really excited when I pre-order them and then they come through and I go, ah, amazing. And I put them on my shelf and I read them three years later. (laughs) Yeah, I, I can honestly say I've got Our Hideous Progeny and The Maiden and cat lady the southern book club's guide to vampire uh, to slaying vampires death of a bookseller the garnet girls the new brandon sanderson lady Macbethad, and dragonfall and that's just a tiny selection of the books that i had delivered at the beginning of this month yeah i i, I have issues i'm technically on a book buying ban but as i said to you before we started recording i stumbled on a bookstall that was selling all books, regardless of them being paperback or hardback, for a pound each, and I, I just had to stop and get and and buy some because they had some great offers on. So that kind of broke my ban a little bit. Luckily, two of them I've, I've read already. I just wanted these copies, so, <laughs> not so I, I they 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 count as freebies because I've already read them. Yeah, that that's exactly. I mean, I quite often will buy a book that I have already read purely because I want my own copy of it because I've read it either for NetGalley or I read it as an ebook, mm-hmm. and I want a physical copy. Yeah. Because it's quite, quite nice to have it. It's nice to have a special edition of books that are quite special to you as well, I think. I, I like to buy the nice sort of collector's editions of, of some of my favourites so that they look pretty on display. And when someone goes, oh, well, have you read that one? I go, yes. <laughs> That's why a special one. <laughs> I've read the the version I've read is on the bottom shelf. <laughs> yes, I was just like, yes, I've got a very messy, pa- <laughs> got a very messy paperback, and um, I've got this very nice, pretty one, like Pride and Prejudice. I've got the Eastern Press Pride and Prejudice because I love Pride and Prejudice, and um, but I'm probably never going to read the Eastern Press one because it's so pretty and leather and shiny. Um, and I've got my scrappy, still annotated from when I was fifteen penguin edition which i actually read (laughs) i've got three annotated versions because i did pride and prejudice for gcse a level and my degree it's very messy i'm tempted to buy like a old secondhand copy from another place and start again with my my new grown-up annotations but we'll see (laughs) (laughs) yeah i made annotations and i keep on saying i'm going to talk about pride and prejudice on the podcast but then i realize that there is so much to say that it's the episode would be about really here. <laughs> but it is one of my favourites. Mm, I think I said that I was going to take it onto a desert island with me. Yes, I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if I'd take my annotated version or buy a new one. <laughs> well, you'd have to decide pretty pretty soon before going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That that's the that's the problem with living on the coast. <laughs> it could happen at any time. Any, well, yeah. <laughs> we might get invaded by France sometime soon at the rate we're going. <laughs> oh, God, don't say that. 
But I mean, this has been really interesting. So your overall summary to get back to it of Daisy Jones and the Six would be? Compelling, but not earth shattering. And how many stars would you give it? I've given it three on Goodreads. I initially did think four because it did really have me hooked. But the thing is, I just don't think this is a story that's going to stay with me. And four stars is a rating that I reserve for books that are very nearly favourites, but just not quite. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree with you completely. So where can people find you? I know that you are taking a break from the podcast for various, very, very reasonable, realistic reasons. But where can people find you? Well, you can find me talking about books on my podcast, which is the Books to Last podcast, and it's available where all podcasts are found, uh, Spotify, Apple, and also YouTube these days. And the all of my bookish content goes on the podcast's uh, social medias, which are all at Books to Last Pod, um, mainly on Instagram, because I haven't been near Twitter since it was... Um, <laughs> underwent its own invasion um but you can find me on twitter at bookslaspod as well fantastic well thank you ever so much for coming on and talking to me about daisy jones and the six by taylor jenkins reed um i think we're kind of unanimous in our views about the book overall (laughs) we just came about the we just came to the same conclusion in different ways it's always nice when that happens because I always feel really bad when I don't like a book because I feel like I've almost, you know, feel like I'm personally letting the author down by not getting what they were going for. And I always feel really bad when I speak to someone who loves a book and I really didn't like it. Oh yeah, I've been there. It's, it's uncomfortable, but it happens. And I think the thing is, as with anything, reading is subjective. So if you don't like something, it's it's a personal thing. Yes. And... I mean, in this case, we both happened to not think it was the best book, but it did have some redeemable qualities. Yeah, good, but not great. It's not a bad criticism. Yeah, I don't think so. Some people aren't good at all. So, <laughs> so... Yeah, I can think of a few that I've read of late that I, I wouldn't recommend to uh, my cat and she can't read. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, had, I've had a couple one stars this year. Yeah, I, I had. I only had one last year. But yes, I think I've had a couple this year that I won't rate because I don't want to put a negative score on Goodreads. So they just stay unrated because of that. I don't mind giving a negative one to a classic book. Catch-22 got one star from it. (laughs) Joseph Heller won't mind. No, he won't. But I think it's the more contemporary authors that I feel a bit absolutely well thank you ever so much for coming on and talking about the book it's been fantastic it's been really nice to to see here and, and talk about not feeling so bad about saying this this is just a three-star book <laughs> someone could read it on holiday it's good yeah and a lot of people do like it so make don't ever take anybody's opinion as your own always make your own choices which is why I did pick this book up in the first place. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks ever so much, Jordan. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. And thank you again to Jordan for joining me to talk about the book. As always, it was a great bookish chat. 
If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod or you can check out my website beingbookish.co.uk where I will post all of my book reviews and the new episodes of the podcast. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week as I actually have three books to read in readiness for my next episodes. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. <laughs>